0: Alright, okay, uh, let me pray, let me pray. Jesus, we uh, just bring this message to you this evening, God, and just want to pray again like we pray so many times, Lord, that it wouldn't be words, but it would be your spirit bringing transformation into our hearts, Lord. So we open wide and we ask God, come and give us revelation of, of the things that you want for us to be able to grow um, into, into a deeper relationship with you. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Right, so I quickly want to tell you a, a, a story. Well, it's a true story. You know, for students, uh, there's, you guys don't know it actually, but if you go, there's this street in Stellenbosch called Dorp Street. And if you go on the other side of Dorp Street, there's still a town called Stellenbosch. It, it goes past Dorp Street. It's actually a little bit bigger than campus, but many people don't know it. And, uh, and there's life beyond campus. It's actually amazing. And there's this little coffee shop that no one knows about. I go and sit there when I want to be alone because especially the young people don't know about it. And I don't even know if I want to give it away, but I am going to give it away. It's an amazing place. Um, It's called the Rupert Museum. And there's a little cafe there that's uh, amazing. They've got good coffee. They've got food that's not too expensive. And the best thing about it is it's, it's further than your horizon, students. You wouldn't know, but it's... Just on the other side of your horizon, there's this amazing place. The beautiful thing about this is it's also a museum, and there is a, a lot of time there's art, and it costs you nothing to go in there. There's this little cafe, but it's these beautiful arts. And so my wife and I, one day, we decided we want to go there. We just want to go and have a coffee and walk through and have a bit of, of a look at the art. And as we walk in on the one wall, there is a massive, massive painting, and just before that, I read a book about a famous painter, and I thought, you know what, this looks like one of his paintings, but it would be too expensive to hang for free in a, an art gallery in Stellenbosch without anyone knowing it. And when I went closer, I saw that it was an original Rembrandt. Those of you who knows what Rembrandt is, yes. It was, it was really massive. It was um, probably about two or three times bigger than the, the screen up there. So it was this massive Rembrandt. Now, now, a lot of you have no clue who that is, but he was a famous painter years ago. And I tried to research it, but it seems like you, his paintings can't be bought really. It's, it's too scarce to be able to buy it. But if you wanted to buy one, the cheapest estimate that I could find was about 20 million rand. That's the cheapest I could find. And that would not be for a big Rembrandt like that. I think that would go in the excess of hundreds of millions of rands, I, I personally would think. And so in this little place in Stellenbosch, there was this secret that my wife and I knew about. And it was totally free, but not many people got to experience it because they didn't know. They didn't have the knowledge that there was this amazing gift that they could go and, and partake of. In fact, people actually go overseas to go and see some of his paintings. Many people go to St. Petersburg where um, the lost son, I think that's or the prodigal son, one of his famous paintings, they go there specifically to see it. But in Stellenbosch for free, you could have gone to see it. How amazing is that? It's, it's totally amazing, actually. The, the people who don't like art are like, boring, but it's actually quite cool. Now, the thing about God is, there's, there's a gift that God wants to give each one of us, and it's a, it's a totally free gift. And it's something that He made available for us when He, bought, when he died on the cross. But unfortunately, not many Christians know about it. Their horizon is, is too small, and they only experience a tad bit of God, but they don't realize that there's actually so much more of our precious God that they can experience. And tonight, what I want to look at is something of revelation that you need to get dropped into your heart because as you see it, the bigness and a bigger picture of God is going to open up and it's going to be like a gift that some have experienced, but I believe not many of you have experienced. And it's a depth in your relationship with God that I want to speak about tonight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to zoom in on two scriptures specifically. And as you see, the title is up close and personal. I want to speak about... This gift of God that actually wants you to come really close, and He wants you to have an intimate relationship with Him, and I'm going to speak specifically about a concept in the Bible where the veil tore when Jesus died and what that actually means, so um coining it to the torn veil. I'm going to zoom in on two scriptures if you want to write it down. We are going to get to them, but I want to speak about Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51, and we're going to go through it bit by bit. And then specifically, I'm going to focus on Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 20. You don't have to go there yet, Karaba, I'll tell you now. Um, And I'm going to go through these two scriptures bit by bit. And the the common denominator in both of these scriptures is it speaks about something called a torn veil. And this sounds like a a metaphor specifically, but it's not a metaphor. It's actually something that physically happened. And I want to look at what it actually means, because if we understand it, there's going to be a deepening to your relationship with God if you understand what it means when the veil tore with Jesus' death. So let me give you a little bit of context. You know that we've got an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? You guys, you following me there still, right? All the AXI the students, are you following me? I can't. When Godfrey said the one plus one thing, I wanted to make the BA joke again, but I didn't. I didn't. Um, it's, it's getting old. Carla told me she's listening to my sermons. When she drives home after the first service, normally she can't listen because of the baby. She listens to the previous week's services. And then she tuned me the other day. She said, you have to stop with that joke. It's not funny anymore. And I said, well, people still laugh, so that makes it funny. Anyway, so a little bit of context when um, we've got the Old Testament and we've got the New Testament, but actually more than that, we've got something that you call the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And it's two different ways of relating to God. When you read the Old Testament, the people of God, they approached God in a specific way. And many of these ways that they are to approach God were actually shadows or types of ways that in Jesus, we would now approach Him in the New Covenant it's not just along the Testament. It's not just the Old Testament, New Testament, but Old Covenant, meaning old way of relating with God versus New Covenant, new way of relating with God. And we live in the New Covenant. So you must follow me as I, as I explain this to you. Now, in the Old Covenant, the way that you approached God was with sacrifice, all right? All of us sin. In the old covenant, you sin. Today, still, we are born sinful human beings, which is difficult for people to understand because we get, um, we, we get taught that you're actually a good person, but actually your propensity will always be towards sin. That's always been the case. If you leave me, I'm, I'm going to head towards sin. That's the natural state, it's the propensity of the human heart. If you've got a little child and you leave that little child, they're going to wreak havoc. It is put in them somehow, and it's there. I'm telling you, it's there. They, they're not going to, like, start worshiping. That's not what they're going to do if you leave them. If a child is too quiet in the house, it's because they're being naughty. They do, they're pulling out books and writing on walls and things like that. The propensity of our hearts is actually towards sin. All right? You, you're not inherently a good person. You inherently actually are a sinner in need of a Savior. And so in the Old Covenant, what God did is he said because there's sin, blood needs to be shed for, the, for your sin. Because I'm a righteous God, although I'm loving, I'm also righteous, and I cannot allow sin into my presence, so death needs to come. I I need to kill that thing. And so what God did in the old covenants is He said, you can bring animals, depending on the severity of your sin and depending on the income that you received. There were different animals that people brought, and as you brought the animal to the temple, which signified the place of worship, the place where God resided... You would actually bring that animal, and that animal would be slaughtered, and the blood of that animal would atone for your sin, so that I no longer have to die because my sin can't be allowed into the presence of God. And I say, God, I can't die, but because I can't die, my blood—God saved us in the old covenant. I hope you're following me here, yeah? from your blood having to be shed. And He said, you can shed the blood of an animal in your stead. Okay, you following me? Are you sure? Yes, all right. So now, one of the other things was there was this temple, and the presence of God resided within the temple. It was the place where God met with His people in the Old Covenant. We're going to get to the New Covenant in a moment, but God resided in the temple. Now, a temple cannot really hold God, obviously, because He's much bigger, but for some reason, he said, I will be with my people. I will reside in this temple. We spoke about the cloud a while ago. There was the cloud, the presence of God that hovered over this place. And the presence of God was found in this temple that God had specific ways that he said, this is how I want you to build this temple. And within this temple, there were many artifacts which we won't get into. But what God did is he said to own: not only does everyone have to bring their own little sacrifice, but one big sacrifice will be brought before me by the high priest, meaning the holiest guy that we can find out of the Levites. We're gonna have this high priest. And once a year, he will go not only into the outer courts, which is where the temple was, he'll not only go into the inner courts, which was like off limits, you couldn't go there as a normal person of God, as a normal Hebrew, but there was this place where the presence of God resided. And the belief was that if you go in there and there's any sin within you, you will die immediately because God is there. And where God's presence is, sin cannot be. So there was this place called the Holy of Holies. And once a year, this guy called the high priest, he would go and he would have blood, the blood of a lamb. And as he would go into this place, he would, he would uh, sprinkle blood as he went into this place. And he would go, the Holy of Holies was separated from the outer place by a massive veil. It was like a thick woven curtain. That it, it was a very thick curtain. And so he would go beyond the thick curtain and he would go into the holies of Holies, but he would shed blood the whole time to make sure that there is atonement for the sin. And he would go and he would bring sacrifices before God for the people of God. Going beyond the veil, the veil that we're speaking about tonight in the Old Covenant, was something that very rarely happened. It was where the presence of God resided, and it was a special matter. Along comes Jesus. And if you want to know where the Old Covenant goes into the New Covenant, it's not with the book of Matthew. It's with the death of Jesus. That's actually where the New Covenant, there's like this intercovenantal period, which is quite difficult to understand. But the moment that Jesus died on the cross... The way that people related with God changed completely. There was the old way, Jesus' death, and a new way of relating. Now, here's the thing about Jesus' death. Jesus is called in the Bible, our great high priest. You remember the high priest of the old covenant? The one that went into the presence of God and brought a sacrifice, a lamb, the sacrifice of a lamb? The Bible says Jesus was the high priest. And when he hung on the cross... He took the sins of the world upon his shoulders. He was perfect. He was like an unblemished lamb, the Bible calls him. And he hung on that cross, and without sin, he hung there, and he said, I will take the sin of the world. If you're sitting here tonight, then Jesus took your sin, past, present, future, for the last however many thousand years, all of that sin was placed upon the shoulders of Jesus. Just imagine for a moment how that must have felt. Have you ever felt the weight of sin in your life? Have you felt when sin sits on you and you just feel, ah, anyone felt that? Now, imagine if you had to feel that, ah, for all of the people sitting in this hall. Imagine the devastating feeling that must be. And then, imagine you had to do that for the entire Stellenbosch, all of the sin that's going on in Stellenbosch. And Stellenbosch, there's a lot of it going on. There's a lot of it. If I drive here in the evenings, I'm like, ooh, Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) this is bad (laughs) this is bad imagine feeling the that the effect of that sin imagine feeling that on yourself and then imagine feeling that of the entire world and then imagine feeling that for the world in existence past present future all of that came upon the shoulders of jesus our god someone say amen that's amazing And Jesus hung on that cross, and in that moment, the great high priest went into the presence of God, and he didn't have to sprinkle the blood of another lamb, because he was the lamb that said, once and for all, I will be the sacrifice for you. I will be the sacrifice. He went beyond the veil, and he died, and he was the sacrifice for your sin. Then the Bible says, I want to read to you Matthew 27, verse 50 to 51, the amazing thing that actually happened there. This is as Jesus died. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit as he died. And behold, listen here, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. So this was probably the biggest moment in human history. The earth responded when Jesus died. There was a shaking that took place. Not only did the earth respond, but as the temple, the way of the old covenant was there, the presence of God was there. When Jesus died, the moment he died, what he did was he tore the veil from top to bottom, meaning it was not done by human hands. It's impossible. The Bible makes it clear. It wasn't from bottom to top. Humans didn't do it. God came and he said, from the moment of Jesus' death, I'm, separa- I'm, I'm breaking the separation of myself, my presence, and human beings. Jesus made it possible that all of us can be like that high priest and come into the presence of God. If you're sitting here, because of Jesus' sacrifice for you, because of the atonement of your sin by Jesus Christ dying on the cross, because of the, the veil that was torn from top to bottom... You are allowed into the presence of God. You are allowed into the presence of God, not by your good merit, not by anything that you can do. Because if you could have done it, it would have said that veil was torn from bottom to top. It was by your works that you could come into the presence of God. No, it was torn from top to bottom, meaning God made a way for you to come into his presence. How many times do we feel like we have to work to come into the presence of God? How many times do we not feel good enough to come into the presence of God? The truth is no matter how much work you do, it will never be enough. The truth is no many how uh, many how oh man. <laughs> no matter how many good works you do, they will never add up. No matter how hard you try. No matter how bad you try and feel, that's not going to be enough. The blood of Jesus created a way for you to be able to come into the presence of all, if, uh, into the presence of God. So if you are sitting here and you are a Christian, you've given your life to Jesus. Because of his blood, you have access into the presence of God. And I, I remember so clearly the first time that I experienced his presence. When I was young, there were a few moments that I, I can't explain that I experienced his presence. But then in 2007, I was on a camp. We were worshiping. And somehow, as the revelation dropped of Jesus that saved me, that died on a cross for me, something of the torn veil, that that mystery was opened up for me, and I experienced the presence of God. And I've had the longing to stay in that place up until now, years later. And if you're sitting here, God wants you to be able to experience His presence. If you haven't experienced His presence, it's like you haven't seen that Rembrandt painting. Actually, it's available to you. It's free. It's been bought with a price. And, the, and now freely you can come and you can come witness this majestic thing. But I want to say it's available to you. Every Christian should be able to experience the presence of God. If you have not, then something is missing in your relationship with Him. I'm not talking goosebumps. So Goosebumps mean nothing to me. Like those things are not important, but something of a heart connection with you and God where you know that you know that you know that you are in the presence of the living God. Listen, not all of your relationship can happen up here with God. Something of it needs to be experiential. And I'm not into only experiential Christianity. I think that's wrong. We need good theology. We need understanding. We need to experience God with our mind as well. But it cannot only be that. There needs to be an experience with the living God. Knowledge will not transform you. I was speaking the other day to, um, to one of the guys in church, and his dad is, is, a, is in a church that has really good theology, and they teach really good theology. But his life was never changed in that place, although he had good theology. His life was changed when he had the good theology, and then he came into the presence of God. That's when your life is changed. Knowledge will not change you. Going beyond the torn veil, that's what's going to change you. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. This is a long piece that I'm going to read, so try and take it in. For believers, the veil is not rolled up, but torn. The veil was not unhooked and carefully folded up and put away, so that it might be put in its place at some future time. Oh no, but the divine hand took it and tore it from top to bottom. It can never be hung up again. That is impossible. Between those who are in Christ Jesus and the great God, there will never be another separation. Who shall separate us from the love of God? He quotes the scripture. Only one veil was made. And since that it is torn, the one and only separator is destroyed. Listen to this. I'm going to quote this again later. Spurgeon says, I delight to think of this. The devil himself can never separate me from God now. He may and will attempt to shut me out from God. But the worst he could do is to hang up a torn veil. What would that avail except to exhibit his impotence? God has torn the veil and the devil cannot mend it. There is access between a believer and his God. And there must be such free access forever since the veil is not rolled up and set aside to be hung up again in the days to come but it is torn and rendered useless. The devil will try and make you feel like there's distance between you and God. The truth is, Spurgeon said, I delight to think of it. You need to learn to think of this truth. Whenever you try and come into the presence of God, you need to say what Spurgeon said there. I delight to think of the fact that there's no longer a separation between me and him. You know my problem sometimes I try and come into the presence of God by repentance. But the Bible says you come into the presence of God by thanksgiving. I sometimes come like this. I want to come into your presence, God. Oh, but I feel so bad. So, Lord, I'm sorry for this and sorry for that and sorry for that. And before I know it, I'm in this deep, dark hole and I never come into the presence of God. And I'm not saying there's no place for repentance, but actually thanksgiving is where it starts. God, thank you that the veil has been torn. Thank you that I've got free access into your presence. Thank you that I don't have to bring any other sacrifice because, Jesus, you are the sacrifice for my sins. Thank you that although I don't feel like it, God, thank you that I can come to you. Thanksgiving is how we enter the presence of God. Delight to think of the torn veil. Amen? Let's go on to another scripture that, um, that speaks specifically. You can go to the next one. Hebrews 10 Verse 90 to 20, this is the only verse I'm going to now preach about, and I'm going to go through it bit by bit. He says, therefore, brothers, because he speaks about the torn veil, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, meaning the veil, that is through his flesh. So let's go through it bit by bit and actually unpack this scripture. Firstly, therefore, brothers, When Paul and Abraham, they wrote to Hebrews, if you didn't know. I'm joking. (laughs) I'll tell you a quick story. Um, In the church that I was, before you could become a member, you had an interview long ago. You had to have an interview with the the Duermines, like with the guys who led the church. And they made a joke with us, and they let us fill in a form while we were waiting to see them. And then on the questions, it asked, okay, please, what are the big, your big your three, name three small sins in your life, and you had to write it down. <laughs> name three big sins in your life, write it down. Quote three scriptures off by heart, and you had to write it down. And then they asked, who, who was the author of the book of Hebrews? <laughs> and you had to write that down. But actually, we don't know who necessarily wrote it. So anyway, that was quite funny. That's why my joke was funny, actually. <laughs> Okay, whoever wrote the book, this author, he starts off when he's going to speak about the fact that we can enter into the presence of God. He says, therefore, brothers. He does not say, therefore, leaders. He does not say, therefore, those who have repented enough. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, "Therefore brothers, he wants to make it very clear that whether you have been saved for many years or whether you've just gotten saved, what he's about to say applies to you. It applies to you. And so in the same way that St. Paul, the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, had access into the presence of God, he's actually putting you under that same circle, and he's saying, the same way that he had access to God, you also have access to God. Isn't that beautiful? Listen to this amazing poem that I found. They shall all be there, the great and the small. Poor I shall shake hands with the blessed St. Paul. I'm going to read it again. They shall, meaning all of us, they shall all be there in heaven one day. The great and the small. Poor I shall shake hands with the blessed St. Paul. What this beautiful poem, I believe, is actually saying is that all of us will be able to stand with St. Paul one day and say, how amazing was it to be able to come into the presence of God? Therefore, brothers, if you're sitting here, brothers and sisters, if you're sitting here, you have access into the presence of God. Then I want to go on to the next part. Since we have confidence. Now, confidence is not something that we normally associate with God. We've got this, oh God, I am a worm, I'm but a worm, I cannot come into your presence. (laughs) <laughs> Hi, I'm Butter Worm. Please come squish me. That is, that's the way that most of us actually approach God, am I right? I mean, so many times I feel like a dog with my tail between my legs when I come to God because I'm so aware of my sin. I'm so aware of the areas that I fall short of the glory of God. But then when he's saying this, when he speaks about coming into the presence of God, he uses this word confidence. And I'm like, how does that actually make sense? I do not feel confident. And to an extent, it makes sense that I don't feel confident because God is holy and I am not. And there is the scripture that, that David says, who is man that you are mindful of him? And, I, and obviously, I've got that attitude, but for some reason, there's, there's a way that we can have confidence here. But the confidence that we come with is not a confidence based on our own merit. It's a confidence of coming under the blood of Jesus. I'm confident because Jesus made a way. Not because I've made a way for myself. You you don't have the scripture, but Hebrews 4 verse 15. Listen to how beautiful it says it. Remember we spoke about the high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Meaning God knows that when you come to him, he knows your weaknesses. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. God knows Let us then, with confidence, amazing, again that word, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. So how do you approach God when you come to Him? When you come into worship at church, how do you approach Him? Honestly, do a little bit of an audit on your life at the moment. Do you come first as a dog with his tail between his legs and think, oh God, I first need to repent about so many things? Or do you come with confidence because of the blood of Jesus that wipes clean every sin and that makes you in some miraculous way clean enough to stand before a holy God? Listen, when you come into worship, so many times, uh, sometimes in worship when I, when I look back, I, you can just see it on some people. I see people sitting there thinking about their sin or thinking about what happened in the week. And, and, and you see people sort of parking off in worship or, or not worshiping fully. And what I see there in that moment is I see they don't understand that the veil has been torn and that they can confidently come. You can confidently come. The moment the guitar starts strumming, you are allowed to lift your hands and say, God, here I come. That's Confidence. Like a child that comes into the presence of his father, when it's a good father, that's how you can come, with all your dirty things. I didn't want to make this, uh, use this example, but, uh, but I've got babies now, and the big reason I got babies was to have preaching illustrations, so I'm going <laughs> to quickly use it. <laughs> so, our little girls have such confidence, it's like, it's, it's amazing, they they little now, but... You know, the one thing that I really dislike doing is, one is standing up at night, but I've spoken about that enough. The second one is, I don't really like changing their nappies. It's bad. And since they started eating solid food, it's like really bad. <laughs> and then sometimes it's so bad that it, it doesn't stay in the nappy. It goes up here into the back. If it's a big one, it's, it's here into the back. And that's, that's like bad. And then it's stinky. Like you, I can, the baby can be there and I tell Karla, there's a nappy right there. <laughs> they made a poop. You can smell it. And the, so they've got this. <laughs> and for some reason, because I'm their dad, I don't think the thought ever crosses their mind that my dad is going to reject me because of my poop. <laughs> <laughs> they come. <laughs> and then I have to keep the stench. And I love them through it for some reason I'm able to love them through it and clean the nappy, clean the poop and I've always I've always thought one day when they're old and they think they wanna be rebellious teenagers, I'm gonna tell them, I'm gonna take videos now and see, just show, just come on, I'm gonna show you how much I love you. Look at what I did. It looks like Basil Pesto Geaton says <laughs> they've seen it. so here's the thing I've got a photo for you you can put up the photo no I'm joking I'm joking I don't have I don't have a photo (laughs) here's the thing when we come to God listen you probably have a dirty nappy when you come to God but God because he loves you he accepts you Does he like it? No, he doesn't like it. Does he want it clean? Yes, he wants it clean. But he wants you to come into his presence so that he can help clean it. You cannot do it on your own. And what we do is we want to clean our mess up on our own. And I don't want to think of that picture with the babies trying to clean it up on their own. It's, it's, It's impossible. They need me. And in the same way, you need God. You need to say, God, I've got my stuff. Yes, I've got my stuff. But God, I've got confidence to come to you, knowing that as I come to you, you will clean me. Come on, you need to let this sink into your heart. You cannot clean yourself. It's impossible to clean yourself. You need to allow God to do it. So when you're alone with God, how do you come? Oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm dirty. Or do you say, God, I come with confidence? When you wake up in the morning, is the first thing you think, Oh man, I haven't spent time with God for two or three days. Or is the first thing you think, God, thank you that although I haven't, thank you that I can come to you. Thank you that I can have confidence to come into your presence. When you come to a prayer meeting, do you shy away and think, I can't pray because I'm not holy enough. Or do you say, no, I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the most high God. With confidence, I can raise my voice and I can pray. You need to allow condemnation to have no root in your life. That veil is torn. It's not been rolled up and put put away. It's been torn. There is no longer a separation between you and God. The next thing he says is now that we have confidence, we need to enter. Now, here's the problem. The problem is not the fact that we have free access We can understand it now. I can preach about it, and you can be like, oh, okay, it makes sense. I've got free access. But now that you've got free access, you need to do something about your access. You need to enter. There's a responsibility on your side. God has done his bit. And now he's saying, now that I've done it, now that I've opened the way for you to have free access, you need to enter. But you know what the problem is? The biggest problem, I believe, the reason we don't, one is the fact that condemnation comes into us so quickly. But the big problem of our, to- of our day actually is I don't think we give God time. I don't think we give God time. Now, pause with me for a moment. Sometimes I find that I'm so distracted when I try and come to God. My cell phone is probably one of the biggest things that makes it difficult for me to come. I understand that I'm allowed to come but there are just so many distractions and so many things that eat away at my time and so many things that ha- need to happen in a day that I struggle to actually just take time. And I'm standing here before you saying, I need to make more time for God. My end is the first one up. That I've realized that it doesn't, I don't have to do it perfectly. I don't have the best methodology. All I need is to say, God, for the next half an hour, 40 minutes, how long ever, you have got my time. Undivided. Do with it what you may. Whether you read Bible or pray or journal or just sit, it doesn't really matter. I really think the big thing that God is wanting from us is our time. But we get so busy. Listen to Martin Luther. He says, I have so many things to do today, I dare not ignore my time with God. I dare not ignore my time with God. How many times do we do the opposite? I wake up and immediately my mind starts running to a hundred other things that I want to do. Listen to me. If you take one thing away from tonight, you've got access. God has given you that. What you give God back is undivided attention, time. That's what you need to give God. But here's what makes it difficult. Listen to a few stats. The average American checks their phones 344 times a day. That's once every four minutes. How about you? The average person touches their phones 2,617 times a day. That's a lot. 2,617 times a day. We give our phones a lot of undivided attention. How much do we give God? From 2020 to 2021, there, is, as there was a 31% increase in the amount of times that people touch their phones. 31%. The average American... Um, spends 705 hours per year on social media. That's more than two hours a day. But we can't give God 20 minutes, but we can be on social media for two hours. Is it, am, I, am I right here or am I wrong? I know what it's like. I know what the YouTube hole is like when it sucks you in and you can't get out. I know what it's like. But guys, that's not Right listen to me, it's not right. We need to come before God and repent and get on our knees and say, God, sorry that we haven't given you our time, but we allow social media to take so much of our time. 71% of people check their phones within 10 minutes of waking up. Do we think about God within the first 10 minutes of waking up? Do we give him that time? The average American Spent about a month and a half on their phones during 2021, 44 days in total on their phones. That's a month and a half of your life on your phone. Imagine if you were to give a month and a half to God, undivided. Imagine what your relationship with them would look like. The average American watches 2,737 hours of TV in a year. That's a lot. The average young American boy spends 10,000 hours playing video games before the age of 21. We give our time to so many other things. Who's honest enough in here to say that you give a lot more time to your phone and things that are not actually that important, social media, than you do to God? Come let's be honest, I'm there, I'm there. It's not going to be easy to break that pattern. It's not. But I want to encourage you, can we go on a journey together? And actually, I want to do something now that I didn't think of doing. But I want to call us to a fast for a week. huh? Except for WhatsApp statuses, because we need to promote the, 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 relationship, the relationship week. But who's with me? I didn't think of doing this, but but I want to promote, can we maybe, all of us, social media for a week, fast social media together? Huh? I can hear some excitement. I think there's a little bit. Okay. Who's, who's no pressure. Who's keen to, to fast? I'm going to mention it here. Instagram. Apparently there's this thing called TikTok. <laughs> Facebook. YouTube. Okay, I've got a few others, Netflix. Hey, Netflix. For a week, if you're willing to say you're going to do that with me, I'm going to do it. Quickly raise your hand if you're willing. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's obviously hard. It's just a lucky enough. Okay, now remember, remember this, God saw your hand in the air, right? (laughs) He saw your hand in the air. So I want to challenge you. What's that? (laughs) I want to challenge you, just, yeah, here you go, guys. I want to challenge you to actually do that. And you're not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but guys, we spend so much time on these things, but we neglect to give God our undivided attention. Can we commit to say, God, you've given me free access, I will give you my undivided attention. John Piper said this, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook, and I'm going to add, and Instagram, and TikTok, and WhatsApp, and YouTube, and Netflix, and News24, and Property24, will be to prove... (laughs) That's like for the older people. (laughs) (laughs) Will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Let me read it again. Not the full thing. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. You have time. You have time. Don't tell me you don't have time. You do have time. Let's give it to God. And then the last portion is he says we enter now through a new and living way. It's not the old way anymore. The new and living way is we enter through Jesus. We've got access through Jesus. Let's stand together.